We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome, everybody. It is opening day. It is Rotowire. It's DFS. It's podcast time, everyone. And we are starting the season off the right way. I'm Joe Pizzapia with you. And, of course, joining us is Derek Van Riper. I, I'm sure you're all familiar with his work over here at Rotowire. Mine, not so much. But that's going to change over the season. So we've got a lot to get to today. Obviously, no shenanigans, no nonsense. It's time to get right down to baseball. First of all, Derek, are you excited for the start of the season, my man? I am. I've got a streak for opening day. This will be, I think, 12 years in a row that I've been at Miller Park. On opening day, uh, probably only the third or fourth year of, of DFS lineups really being a part of that tradition, but uh, there's really nothing better than the first day of baseball season, except for playoff baseball. I only experience that occasionally here as a Brewers fan, uh, but opening day is always special, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, How about you, Joe? And, and welcome aboard, by the way. We're really happy to have <laughs> you on for this uh, this season. Oh, uh, likewise. I'm very happy to be there. It's funny. I've, uh, we have our traditions here. We, uh, we always do the hot dogs with the little girls here. We get the, uh, the nachos, the pretzel factory stuff. We, we do it up. We basically bring the ballpark food here, helmet Sundays and all. You're really not allowed to eat a Sunday at my house unless it's in a helmet. First of all, that's really the, the accepted way to have ice cream in my home. That's an excellent uh, rule. Well, I, I think so, and I've been to a lot of different ballparks. We've got a lot of different helmets, a lot of Suvi helmets there. It's funny, the one time I was actually at Miller Park was an amazing thing where it was some sort of weird, I don't know, like 11 o'clock a.m. start game because they had some sort of weird makeup game. And I got to say, people were there tailgating at 9.30, 10 in the morning with the sausages and the eggs and everything out there. And I was like, this is my kind of town. I can handle this. I like where their head's at. Very impressed with the Milwaukee uh, tailgating in the morning, breakfast tailgating. And there was beer as well, let me just add. So it yes. is Miller Park after all. <laughs> it is. They, they try to keep the gates uh, closed until like 8 a.m. And I think every year they have to open them early because people line up and the ramp from the freeway to the park backs up to the point where it starts to cause commuter traffic issues. And uh, they cave in, let everybody in. There's always beer brats 
eggs, every possible thing you could put on a grill imaginable out there on opening day. I've been to opening days with snow flurries. People are still out there anyway. Uh, it doesn't even matter. The team can be in rebuilding mode like it is right now, and you're still going to get you know 50,000 fans showing up. I think capacity is 45. You'll have 5,000 fans go who tailgate and don't even have a ticket because they just want to be outside uh, drinking beer and eating brats. And who wouldn't be? I mean, honestly, who, why wouldn't you want to be doing that? That sounds like an outstanding time to me. You know what else they did, too? They did that thing where you get the uh, the bingo card, and you get, like, sack fly, home run, RBI, two-run home run, all these things. And if you keep paying attention when you're keeping score and you get bingo, you could go and I don't know if they still do this, but you could redeem it for prizes. That was fun. That was a good time. I don't know if that's, like, a, a tradition there or maybe it was just there in a really strange morning game. But uh, love the Milwaukee Park. I know everyone's got their traditions as well here. And ours is to uh, start things off in terms of DFS on the right foot and start it by cashing. So let's get right to it. Let's start with the pitchers on the Monday slate. Now, here's a tough one. All right, DVR, because you've got a list of aces. It's opening day. This might be the hardest one and because basically you're looking at a bunch of cash game pitchers. And it's kind of hard to decipher where the value is. And it's even harder to try to target a pitcher to go against. Would you say that? Oh, yeah. This is one of the trickiest days of the year. I mean, and the part of it is, too, is there's a handful of weaker number one starters. A lot of people are going to pick hitters going up against those guys at the bottom of the price list. Uh, so it's a really, really difficult slate to break down. You look, you look at Clayton Kershaw. Every pitching conversation on days he pitches begins right there. 12,600, home against a very weak Padres lineup. Uh, a lot of soft pricing. On FanDuel, as I look through the hitters, I think you could build a pretty competent lineup with Clayton Kershaw as your option on the mound. The question is, do you think the ownership rate is going to be high enough in GPPs where that actually backfires and you know, there's too much Kershaw ownership out there? I think the one thing you're seeing already with this early pricing is that uh, it was loose last year for football and it's getting loose again for MLB. I do agree with that statement. I, I think that. Kershaw, you know, whenever you go to the top of that tier, I think that's something that you always got to pause with because you got to look at the rest of the slate and say, can I get at least similar productivity and bump up that offense? And I think on a day where you're getting so many aces on the mound, going all the way up to the board with Kershaw might be a little bit of a dicey proposition for me personally. I think at a cash game, you could certainly get away with it. I think the GPP play is to not go up to the board because, frankly, with so many good pitchers, you're going to have to find some offense I think offense is going to be the separator here. And by the way, I think you're being kind when you talk about the San Diego Padre lineup. I could just uh, I could tell you that as well. Uh, as we go down the list a little bit, do you have any love for Steven Strasburg? He's at home against Miami. You know the strikeouts are going to be there. Uh, is that a guy that you think might be a little bit of a, a nice fade from the very top of the Cindergard Kershaw kind of board? Yeah, I think you could pivot to Strasburg. I'm a little concerned because I think I like the Marlins lineup more than most. We saw Justin Bohr take a step forward last year with his plate discipline. You know, D. Gordon missed a lot of time. He's, of course, back. Uh, Stanton's healthy. Yelich and Ozuna are two really good young hitters in the mix as well. I mean, Yelich's step forward last season was a, a giant one. And I think Marcelo Ozuna's got a 30 home run season in his bat. Whether it's this year or next year, I'm not sure, but... I think part of it's the opponent. That makes me a little skittish with Strasburg. I think ownership rates will be medium high. I mean, people like Strasburg. If you don't have him in season long, you love investing in DFS because you're not dealing with the uh, injury risk the, quite the same way. You don't have that season long investment. Uh, I'm probably going to avoid Kershaw, or should I avoid Strasburg uh, on this slate. It's 
not a strong avoid. It's just that I'm probably not going to play enough lineups. If I had five or six different lineups, he'd be my third pitcher in. And I think I'm going to have two other pitchers uh, holding down all my lineups instead. Well, and let's also talk about some of the change in pitching, too, as some of you may or may not be aware, or as you're listening to this, finding out for the first time, you do have that change there. The quality start is a change, which, in my opinion, is a a great addition to the scoring. I like it personally, and I think what it does is it gives you a chance for those guys like the Jose Quintanas of the world, who are very good pitchers year in, year out, but pitch on bad teams, it gives them a little bit more of all of a sudden, hey, look at me, I'm now a, do- a viable DFS option because, you know, typically you look for that the lowest guy on the board perhaps that you think you can get the best out of, the best matchup, or you're uh, most of the time going up to the very top. It's the guys in the middle that were always kind of a, a difficult prospect, but now the guys like Jose Quintana, uh, perhaps even, yeah, I don't want to say Marco Estrada too, but like it's those kind of pitchers, those mid-tier pitchers that are on this slate today. Kevin Gossman, another one who pitched much better than his record last year. And now all of a sudden these guys are in the conversation because we just need them to get those six innings, get those three earned runs or less. And all of a sudden they're being productive on a scale that they hadn't previously quite met. Yeah, it closes the gap scoring-wise over pitchers who get wins. I mean, I think win hunting became something that was very normal uh, on FanDuel. It was more than a tiebreaker as far as deciding between two similarly skilled pitchers. So uh, I like this change. I think it is ultimately good. Even though I don't like quality starts as a a season-long stat, I do like the use of it uh, in the way FanDuel has incorporated it into its scoring for this year. I think Julio Tehran's a guy that becomes a lot more useful too. I mean, Atlanta's going to be better this year than they were last year. Uh, How much better is still a matter of debate. And with Tehran going up against one of the best aces on the board, Noah Syndergaard, you know, I I wouldn't have used Tehran at all without quality starts being factored in. I would at least considering it in GPPs uh, now that you're going to get something if Tehran goes six and uh, holds the Mets to three earned runs or less. I would agree. In fact, Danny Duffy's another one that pops out to me against that weak Minnesota lineup uh, in the big ballpark. He's pitching in Minnesota, but that Minnesota lineup has a lot of strikeouts in it offensively. And I think Danny Duffy certainly uh, is ready to go. And at this time of year, usually the pitchers are a bit ahead of the hitters in terms of that. Now let's go to the opposite way. Let's be negative because let's face it, that's a little bit more fun. Who are the guys we're going against? Do Do you like going in Milwaukee, trying to maybe target Guerra? Do you like maybe the chalk, which is, hey, Scott Feldman in Cincinnati, get some of those Phillies hitters going there against them. Sometimes the chalk is the right answer. Doesn't always mean that the chalk is bad. It just means you have to know what to do with it. Either of those two guys right now popping to you in terms of uh, pitchers you want to kind of target offensively to go against in stacks? Yeah, looking price-wise, Gray and Guerra are probably the two most expensive pitchers that I want to have a lot of exposure to. Uh, I would like to get two Milwaukee hitters into my lineup and two Colorado hitters at a minimum, uh, really focusing on that game. And then uh, mixing and matching you know, positionally based on what's left after I get my two stacks in to really go after the, the lowest end guys. I mean, everyone's going to be going after Scott Feldman and Julius Chassin. I want exposure to them. I don't necessarily want to have three and four player stacks against both if I'm playing in GPPs. I don't think you get enough separation. In cash, by all means, go after those two guys, especially Feldman. Feldman, to me, is just awful, and I think the Phillies lineup is good enough to do some damage against them. And, you know, another little tidbit, too. A lot of people don't realize this, but John Gray's ERA was actually higher on the road last year than it was in Colorado. 
ironic, of course. Uh, let's get to some of the offensive players, too. We spent a lot of time on the pitching here. Uh, let's start with the outfield because there's lots of bargains always out there. You, we talked about that Philadelphia team. I look at a guy like Odebel Herrera hitting at the top of that order. As being a guy that can contribute in a lot of different ways, has some pop, has some speed. And at 3,300, to me, that's a guy that you can kind of slot in there, top of the order, and also it gives you a little bit of savings where you can start to pay for some of these other big-time bats. Absolutely. Herrera's a great play. I had him in my initial lineup as well. Uh, high in the order, got the lefty-righty platoon advantage as well. We know Great American Ballpark boosts up home runs. It uh, doesn't drive up runs as a whole as much, but I like that Herrera can also uh, provide some value on the base paths too. 25 for 32 as a base stealer last year. Really like what this guy did as far as ticking up that OBP as well. 361 last season. Nice little improvement from the 344 that we saw in 2015. So I think Odell uh, Herrera is a great building block. And even if you're uh, if you're willing to go at Feldman without the lefty-righty advantage, Tommy Joseph is only 2100. I know there's a, mm-hmm. a lot of quality options at first base. Uh, Tommy Joseph was more than okay against righties. Plenty of power. I think this is a good setup for him as well because the other angle you have to think about is that you're going to get some cracks at a pretty weak Cincinnati bullpen. If Scott Feldman goes five and fly or gets bombed out even earlier than that, you get a few uh, turns against what could be a bottom three bullpen in the big leagues. And and another thing to keep in mind also, when you start to mention these guys, you know, guys like Joseph – you know, the the power numbers were good on the road and in Philadelphia last year. He's not just a product there. But Milwaukee, one of the more underrated, underrated pitchers, uh, excuse me, hitters, parks. So always keep that in mind, too. You got to, you know, there's more than just Colorado out there. You got to keep that in mind as well. Uh, let's go to the top of the board, too. You know, sometimes it's hard to justify these big guys. But another guy, another Rocky who was outstanding away from Coors Field last year was Charlie Blackman. A lot of people will think, oh, it's Colorado. He's just a guy you play in Colorado. But Blackman's another one where you look at the splits, and he was a terrific guy outside of Colorado last year. If we're thinking that holds over and carries over this season as well, you're looking at for $4,000 for you know five 600 less, not just today, but for, I would say, all season, right off those Bryce Harper, Mike Trout-type guys, even Mookie Betts. Blackman on the road is a guy that can give you very similar stats on a daily basis, on a nightly basis, and really for a couple, you know, five to six hundred dollars less, I think, pretty frequently. Yeah, I really like Blackman. I mean, the power speed combo is excellent. Uh, the road splits, as you said, really weren't that bad last year. And with the matchup against Junior Guerra, we're talking about a guy that uh, really didn't get uh, a lot of exposure uh, last year, only 20 starts, and he started to fade in the second half. He allowed six homers in spring training this year. A lot of those came in one really bad start. I think he was the guy pitching against Oakland when pretty much everybody in the A's lineup went deep in that game. But something may be a little off with Javi Guerra, Junior Guerra. I'm so used to the old Javi Guerra Dodgers uh, reliever. but uh, It's tough to break old habits, let it, me tell you. It, I can't imagine when we get to football how many times I'm going to say Oakland Raiders. I, I really I can't even imagine how many times I'm going to say that this year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to that as well. But... The weird thing about Junior Guerra is last year he had a 223 ERA and a 105 whip at Miller Park. I mean, it's just to me, it's like 10 starts. It's not enough to to look at that and say, yeah, he owns those splits. So I'm looking for Guerra to take a big step back overall this year. I think Colorado's lineup is better than it is in a typical year, and it can do damage outside of Colorado. I've seen it happen on opening day before with this Rockies lineup in this venue. Uh, So I'm worried about Guerra. If the pitch count gets up, Milwaukee's another team. You think about... Uh, the at bats your DFS hitters can get against some of their 
unproven bullpen arms, it's a really favorable setup, even though this is a road game for Colorado. Two more names to keep in mind in the outfield in that Colorado at Milwaukee contest. Keon Broxton gives you a little bit of pop, but a lot of speed there, too. Coming off a good spring. And Domingo Santana, who looks very good as well. He's at 2,900. Keon Broxton at 3,000. So there's some really good value in the outfield. I don't think it's a position you really need to spend up, especially if you're playing in the tournaments. I think there's a lot of value to be found. Let's go over to the infield and let's take a look at some of these guys. Can you make a case for Trey Turner today? Uh, 3700 To me, that is not an enormous price when you consider the skill set of Turner, when you consider where he's hitting in the batting order, and perhaps even going with a little mini stack of Washington at home against Miami. Because, I mean, look, Volquez has not been great in, in recent memory. And there's perhaps an opportunity there to, you know, pay up for some productivity that you think you're going to uh, be very secure in with a guy like a Trey Turner. Yeah, most expensive shortstop on the board, but at the same time, I think it's it's deserved. And I think the question for me comes down to, if I can only afford one, do I want Trey Turner at 3700 or do I want Daniel Murphy at 3500 I think I like Murphy a tick more than Turner in part because uh, there's a cheap shortstop in Milwaukee, Orlando Arcia. Really want to see where he's hitting Monday morning when the lineup comes out. He's only 2100 so if you really want to free up some cash, get a guy in a high over-under total game, Arcia scratches that itch, and he's $1,600 cheaper than Turner on opening day. More of a punt play consideration. So I like Turner, but I think I'd rather go with Arcia and go cheap and then open up that extra cash for Daniel Murphy. Uh, I'll tell you what, I actually have Murphy and Turner in a lineup that's got Michael Franco in it and uh, Odebel Herrera, who we talked about earlier. So it's not impossible to get both of those guys in this lineup. I mean, just looking at it the way it goes there, it's uh, it's a very easy sell for me. And when you're looking at the rest of that shortstop position right now, the way it's shaking out, uh, you know, Xander Bogart's a great player. I don't know how good the matchup is. Corey Seager's banged up. Trevor Story, uh, again, I'm still not sold. He makes a lot of outs. I know the power is there. But really, shortstop is is not the greatest spot in terms of DFS or in terms of value. You can go down there and maybe kind of you know, live with some of these guys like Dansby Swanson all year round, but not necessarily in a matchup against Syndergaard. So I would pay very close attention. If I'm paying up, I'm paying up for shortstop. That's where I'm going. Let's go to the corners a little bit, too, here. Talk about some of these boys, because this is where the power lies. So who are the guys at the corner that really stick out for you on this slate? Is it the Joey Votto at home? Is that where we're going, dealing with the big on-base percentage guy with the pop, with the Jeremy Hellickson matchup, or is there somebody else at first or third that is really appealing to you in the cash game setup? Yeah, Votto is the the chalk option I would like to play. I don't know if I can mm-hmm. afford it, though. I, I'm probably going to use Verlander as my primary pitcher. I don't know if I came out and, and clarified that before. It's Kershaw, if I can find enough cheap hitters I'd like, and I think I can do that, but Verlander as more of my cash game pitcher you know, 10200 on Verlander opens up a little more flexibility than that uh, 12-6 price on Kershaw. And, you know, even with that extra money, I still think Votto at 4000 at first base is a little high relative to what I can get from the other options at this position. I mean, Eric Hosmer uh, gets a lefty-righty matchup against Irvin Santana at 3200 I think he's viable. Uh, but Kendry's Morales at 2900 Ah, there you go. That's like, my guy. <laughs> he's, he's the best deal on the board. I know it's against Kevin Gossman. And I, look, we all, we all like Kevin Gossman skills-wise. If Gossman only goes five, a couple bullpen at-bats are possible. But Kendry's Morales just has so much raw power. Look what he did in Kansas City last year. Now he goes to the AL East. I like him in season long. I like him in DFS on opening day as well. 
You took the words right out of my mouth. Morales is the guy that I absolutely love at 2,900. I mean, it's it's hard not to. Uh, this year when he's in that ballpark, it, I know this game is in Baltimore, also a heck of a place to be hitting. So overall, moving into the American League East is a great scenario for Kendrys Morales. And like you mentioned, already hit 30 home runs last year. We've seen Batista, Encarnacion, and all of these guys go, even Josh Donaldson. They all go to Toronto, and all of a sudden, I don't know, whatever's in the water up north, but all of a sudden they become enormous home run threats. And Morales at 29 is a great value at first base. To me, there's going to be a whole lot of ownership on him. And and you make a great point. As much as we like Gossman, it's hard to imagine him not getting two at-bats probably at some point against middle relief in that game, depending on how it's going. And that's where you're going to feast. That's where these guys are going to hit those home runs. How about over in the third base end? Obviously, you've got the big names. You got the Arenados. You got Machado, Donaldson, uh, even Jonathan Villar. I think at thirty six is is a pretty decent value there. But I think third base a little bit deeper. Do you have any love for Michael Franco, or is there somebody even lower than that that uh, is kind of sticking out to you right now? I like Franco, but I like Travis Shaw as well. Lefty righty yeah. matchup against John Gray. Uh, as far as off season player movement, Travis Shaw probably won the lottery more than any player in terms of the uh, improvement going from Fenway to Miller Park. The left-handed home run boost he gets moving into Miller Park is incredible. I think the only place he could have went that is better is Yankee Stadium. I mean, that's looking at more of like a three-year sort of view. So Shaw is in a fantastic spot moving into Milwaukee. If you're just looking for a cheap option that can go deep, I think he fits that description. Uh, no problem at all. If you got the extra 300 bucks, I think Michael Franco is the kind of guy that doesn't strike out a lot. I like power hitters that can put the ball in play. Uh, good things can happen when you're going up against that Cincinnati lineup as or the pitching staff, as we talked about before. So I think Franco is certainly in play for me. Uh, I'm a little surprised that VR is listed at third base because he's playing second base now. I'm just surprised he didn't get lumped in with the options at the Keystone. So it's a little frustrating that you can't uh, use him as a second base option on opening day. Yeah, I noticed that as well. And uh, great points about Shaw and also a guy coming off a good spring. You can't buy too much into the spring numbers, but I think certain guys like Shaw, you want to see, number one, health, and number two, you want to see confidence heading into the season. And I think when you have a good spring, at least there's that that opportunity to start off with a good April, and I think that that is always a positive. You can't read too much into the spring numbers. However, performance matters, you know, on the field, health and confidence and I think a guy like Shaw has got all three of those things right now going for him so yeah, very very positive move there for him uh, now obviously baseball is here and don't get stranded out on first base without a rotowire subscription and don't miss out on the great offer so make your first deposit on FanDuel today and you'll get a free six-month rotowire subscription so go to FanDuel.com slash rotowire to claim that and you must be a new FanDuel user so none of you old veterans all right a new FanDuel user only in order to be eligible users may only establish one account on FanDuel and that's FanDuel.com slash rotowire now we talked about positives let's talk about some of the traps are there some guys you think that are priced a little bit too high for your liking or maybe some guys too that you think are just going to be way too heavily owned in some of the tournaments that you want to get away from. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking right now, Freddie Freeman at 3,400 against Noah Syndergaard, not enough of a discount for me. I think, comparatively speaking, DraftKings uh, prices guys down a bit more aggressively when they go up against an ace. So if you, you want to go contrarian, I think that's the, the better way to go building lineups go go to DraftKings try to find cheaper options than you can get on FanDuel uh, in some cases uh, I'm looking at that as a first base fade at second uh, probably not going to roll Brian Dozier out there on opening day at 3400 I've been a little bit uh, bearish on him throughout this draft season anyway I mean I, I just 
the weather is so cold here in the Midwest right now. The ball's not going to carry very well. So I'm a little worried about some of these cold weather games in particular. Dozier certainly impacted by that. Uh, I'm trying to decide, even though I don't like Jose Quintana, if the Tigers are priced up a little high. Ian Kinsler's 3200 It's not ridiculous, but Miggy's 4000 Like I think it's, it's, it's a situation where I like the Tigers lineup enough to not use Quintana, but I like Quintana enough not to really use the Tigers lineup at their current prices. <laughs> that was very zen of you, DVR. I like that. That was very... Uh... Uh, very chi. I like I like where you're going there. But oh, Miguel Cabrera a little banged up too going into the season. Let's not forget that some of these guys are not going in healthy, and some of them have a little bumps and bruises heading into April. And you mentioned the weather too. That's something you must 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 keep an eye on uh, when you're playing. Uh, and there's opportunity with the weather too. So here's the one thing bit of advice I'll give to you people out there. If you're looking to give a little diversity when you're going out there in some of these tournaments, if you know that the weather is going to be workable and you love the value, you might want to throw a lineup in with some of those guys that you like. And, and here's why. Because the ownership's going to be down. The performance is still good. And this is really for the most with any rain games. If you got a game that, you know, it starts at 1 o'clock and you think that there's like a 3 o'clock rain that might be coming through there, it's very rare that games get canceled. So just keep that in mind that for the hitters especially, it's something to separate you. And you can get a whole lot of talent and a whole lot of value. And all of a sudden, you can actually turn around – of uh, ownership percentage into your favor in some of those games. So you got to be careful, but if you do it smartly, it's a way to separate yourself. Now, another change to FanDuel this year is the late swap in the late games. Tell me, Derek, how do you see this affecting gameplay uh, going forward this season? Well, I think it, it just gives you the extra protection when a player you know, is on the initial lineup card and lineup lock happens and 30 minutes before the game, we find out, you know, a flu bug or an injury issue has flared up and that player gets removed. So uh, it just gives you the the insurance, I guess you'd say, that you didn't have before on FanDuel. I think it was kind of a, a long overdue sort of change. I'm glad they made it. Uh, I'm not of the opinion that, you know, setting it and forgetting it is good. I'd rather not get screwed by a late scratch. I'd rather just get the notification on my phone, go in there and make a change and at least have a chance at a decent game from someone else, even if it's a replacement that I don't like quite as much as the player I built around initially. Now, a little bit of advice as well for some of the people trying DFS for the first time. I would say if you're a good season-long player, be encouraged to try DFS. Now, don't go crazy. A couple things to keep in mind. Manage that bankroll. If you're going to go in there with a couple hundred dollars, try not to put more than 10% of it out there in a night. I know that doesn't sound like a lot. doesn't sound very exciting or sexy, but just remember, it's a very long season. This is not like NFL, where you're going to play two contests a week maybe or something like that. Baseball is an everyday thing. And if you do it right, you can play baseball for six months. If you do it smartly, manage your bankroll. If you're new to the daily fantasy world, stay in the 50-50s. Build up that bankroll. If you want to go out there and play a little tournament play, my suggestion, make sure you're sticking to the single-entry tournaments so you're playing against one of the the big pro lineups from some of these guys instead of 40 or 50 of them. So just keep that in mind. Any other advice for folks who are just starting out the new season, some season-long players looking to maybe go out there and give DFS a try for the first time this year? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is also to make sure you're, you're doing your own homework. And after lineup lock happens, after all the games have started, I think this is a really good tip that Michael Rathburn pointed out on our SiriusXM show today. You want to go in and there's an export uh, there's an export option where you can actually 
look at the ownership rates across the contest. So you can get a feel for what other players are doing. Uh, I think you can learn a lot from the winning lineup. So if you look back at your contest the next day and you didn't win, look at the results. Click on some of the lineups that cash. See what they did differently. See which matchups they were picking on and absorb that information. Uh, I think the key, as you said, really is bankroll management. You don't want to put more than 10% of your bankroll out there on any given day. And I think it is easy to fall into the trap of saying, you know what? I just want to hit a big GPP and everything's going to be gravy. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to quit my job. It's going to be great. You right. know, sure. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not telling people not to play them, but don't go overboard with GPPs. You want to have a heavier supply of cash games, especially as a newer player. But even as you get more experience, that's where you're going to build your bankroll more consistently. It's an easier way to get along. And, and I think it leaves you in situations where, you know, you're, you're going to look back at the end of the season and say, hey, you know what? I actually I did pretty well. Maybe I'm up even four figures over the course of the season. You probably won't go up four figures the first day. Like, it, like don't don't expect that. <laughs> no. Like, it's going to take several weeks before things start to really uh, trend in the right direction for you. And if you get wiped out after the first 10 days, let's say you, you lose eight times out of 10, I mean, that can happen. Don't be completely discouraged. Just make sure your process is continually improving. And I think it's great advice, too, when you say do your own homework. It's great to listen to the pods. It's great to read if you subscribe to Rotowire or other sites that's going to help you kind of absorb the information. Here's the one thing to always take with you. Make sure at the end you're the one playing because it's your money and you're the one responsible for it, hopefully. But it's that's the joy. The joy is you're winning. The joy is taking the information that we're going to give you here on this podcast and over here at Rotowire and give you the idea of what you're going to put. Take that in and then arm yourself with that knowledge to go make the lineups you want. And also, don't forget, you can go and play for free. Try things out. Try different lineups. Go play some free head-to-head contests. Avoid heads-up stuff right away. I'm telling you if you're new, don't go looking trying to you know put head-to-head matchups out there because – there's going to be people who are going to sign up and they're just going to hand you your lunch. You don't want to do that. That's a surefire way to lose money. But don't be afraid to put some free contests out there. Try some lineups and then go back and like Derek's saying, go back and revisit your work. Revisit the ownership percentages in, in those tournaments and things and how things went. And get a gauge of what's working for you because this is supposed to be your fantasy experience, not ours. We are here to help and to help that facilitate the entire season. So uh, Derek, what are you most excited for this opening day before we head out of here? For me, it is that Brewers-Rockies matchup. Even though I'm expecting a lot of runs, you know, I'll be there. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully, I'll catch the end of the Kershaw uh, slugfest against the Padres. And by slugfest, I mean Kershaw just pounding slugging, the San Diego. Like, slugging Padres like, pitchers. Right? Pun- punching the San Diego lineup with uh, <laughs> punch outs in, in this case. So I'm hoping to see at least the last half of that game. How about you? Uh, for me, I want to see the big man. I want to see Thor on the mound. I mean, I don't know if there's a guy besides Kershaw that I enjoy watching pitch more than Noah Syndergaard. He's got, uh, you know, the build. He's got the hair. He's got the attitude. He walks the walk. I love that. He says, I'm 60 feet, six inches away. Come get me. I'm right here whenever you want. I, I don't know about you, but that's my kind of pitcher. That's the kind of guy that's easy to root for. And he certainly brings enough of the velocity along with him. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the first podcast here on opening day. We hope you enjoy your opening day and the rest of the season. We are just getting started here on the Rotowire DFS podcast. So make sure you're listening uh, because we are going to be here every day for you in daily fantasy for Derek Van Riper. I'm Joe Pizapia signing off. We'll see you soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 